Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Robots Radio presents... You're listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast, the best way for everyone from experienced dungeon masters to those curious about D&D to learn more about the worlds, creatures, and lore of Dungeons & Dragons. Welcome to the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. My name is Sergio, and before we get started, we have a huge announcement. We have a gigantic announcement. We have a Black Dragon-sized announcement. We have a new lore master here at the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. Go ahead, and I, I'll, I'll let I'll let them do the introducing uh, the introductions for themselves. Go ahead. Hi, and thank you. And I am Mary Sybil. I will be your lore mistress for the foreseeable future. Oh yeah, for, for years and years to come. You're you're locked mm. in. This is oh good. I signed is, my soul away. This is essentially a curse. This is a cursed item. You know, it's gonna oh. take uh, it's gonna take some high level magic to get rid of this. Oh good, good. I've yeah. got time. It's fine. Yeah, Mary has been a part of the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast community for a while now, and when uh, when I was seeking out. Uh, someone to jump onto the show. Uh, hers was one of the first names I thought of, and I, I like she brings the level of not only knowledge but enthusiasm for the game and for role playing in general that that we love here at the Lorecast. So welcome aboard. We're like we're we are glad to have you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And we have a humdinger of a debut episode. We are going to go through the journeys through the Radiant Citadel, the brand new 13 adventure anthology that just came out. If you're listening to this, uh, the day of its release, it just came out just a few days ago. We've already poured through the text. We've already munched on the lore. We've already, or, yeah, it's, it's, oh, it's, it, it really is delicious. This is, <laughs> this is something that uh, I've been looking forward to for quite a while and like I wasn't worried that it wouldn't live up to my expectations, but my expectations were pretty lofty, and mm-hmm. it—I mean, it, it knocked it out of the park. Is this is this is an amazing collection? Um, so let's just go ahead and just dig right into it. Let's go ahead and get started. The um, the book itself uh, starts with an entire chapter, like almost like twenty pages of just lore about the setting, about the campaign setting, mm-hmm. which obviously, like you know. Um, us being who we are and us, you know, hyper fixating on uh, this, that aspect of D&D very much appealed to us. Absolutely. Very, very much so. And so the Radiant Citadel, it's a testament to a lost age of extraordinary magic and mythical beasts. And it's very unique in that the city actually is built around this like gargantuan like crystal this like giant um like diamond of sorts um and like the city itself like floats around it um it's create it was created by 27 civilizations and was lost and forgotten and abandoned until descendants from uh, 13 of those civilizations discovered it 
resurrected it from its slumber and then reclaimed it. And then two more civilizations were discovered, two more of these, you know, uh, believed to be thought lost civilizations were discovered, bringing it to a total of 15. So there are still 12 Mm -hmm. civilizations that are responsible for creating this, the Radiant Citadel that have yet to be found. And that, for me, that allows the sort of homebrew of it all to, to really shine. I mean, you've got 13 adventures here, but you know, this isn't, you know, because they, they spend so much time, uh, you know, detailing and explaining the lore of the setting itself Mm -hmm. that they kind of, you know, they kind of allow, uh, players to create their own adventures. They don't necessarily have to have, have to play, these adventures for the setting like it's it's right it's it's us it's like it's agnostic in that sense yeah they, it's it's extremely extremely adaptable and there's enough there that you have a sense of what's going on but it's been built in a way that you can expand on it in so many different directions and it's just it's very very well done i'm extremely impressed yeah and not only that but you can also you don't necessarily necessarily even have to um have these adventures in the radiant citadel so to speak like they right. give you options to uh like in some adventures like oh hey like you could use uh eberron or you could use forgotten realms and if yeah. one of them like this could be a domain of dread in ravenloft which is really cool you love a good domain of dread though i I, gotta say. I i am a sucker for a domain of dread for sure uh <laughs> so uh this the radiant citadel acts as a sort of uh waypoint between planes um, refugees can um, can find or like those that are are have to leave their their home planet or their plane for one reason or another, mm-hmm. you know, find refuge in the Radiant Citadel, mm-hmm. which makes its population uh, a mix of races uh, from all over the multiverse. Love that too. Let's talk about this auroral diamond, this giant gemstone that's at the heart of the Citadel. Yes, it has immense power like we're not even sure how much power it has um because it essentially gives the entire city uh its magic and without it nothing exists uh one cool thing about it is that it changes colors at seemingly random like no regular interval and rarely repeats colors and some scholars believe that each color represents the birth of a new civilization and so if it repeats that same color it indicates the death of that civilization, mm-hmm. which I thought was very cool. It just, it just sounds like it, it's kind of an overwhelming thought, like something that massive and all of the changes and adjustments and all of that stuff in there. Just like it has to be like massively impressive being surrounded by all of that and be insanity. No, yeah, exactly. Um, and then other... Others believe that it's actually the, the, the changing colors. It's a countdown to something. Kind of like a doomsday clock. Or not even like, not necessarily like a doomsday clock, but you know, like it's, you know, I mean, oh. I guess like the mo- the more cynical, I guess you just, you just pointed <laughs> out your own, <laughs> your own point of view, your own perspective. Oh. I thought it was a countdown to something amazing, to something fun. Oh, well, I, you know, all right. Two sides, same coin. <laughs> No, I definitely thought it was some sort of like doomsday clock for sure. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, with something of like such unimaginable power, 
uh, like no one's really no one knows how it was made no one knows how mm -hmm. it was created and so like i said it was uh it was brought back to life essentially by the by the descendants of the founding civilizations and so as a result the the homes of those civilizations can be accessed from the radiant citadel and they're accessed through these 15 giant gemstones that orbit the city known as the Concord Jewels. And these are huge. These are, and they say that they're huge, like they have enough room to transport hundreds of people and tons worth mm -hmm. of goods. And I'm wondering if it's like sort of like a Doctor Who TARDIS type situation where it's like, it doesn't look that big from the outside, but once you get inside, yeah, it's bigger on the inside. Bigger on the inside, of course. I mean, I guess so. It just, to me, it kind of, seem more like a portal type rather than you know well they describe them as building sized and so like even you know you're even like a you know what three four story size building probably couldn't right. have like transport that many people and that many that many, that many goods but like i said i'm gonna that's my head cannon and i'm sticking with it right absolutely those known as clavagers that operate the concord the, the concord jewels um, and they can also actually be operated by anyone after a successful DC-14 Arcana check. And these Clavagers operate as ambassadors from the, the Radiant Citadel and many speakers of the ancestors who we will talk to, mm -hmm. we will talk to about, uh, talk about here shortly, were once uh, Clavagers, were once these Concord Jewel operators. The only official entrance to the Radiant Citadel is the passage of respite uh, which the Concord Jewels like dock adjacent to. And those that are entering the Radiant Citadel will pay a fee unless they have nothing. You know, they're not going to be turned away for, for showing right. up any lists. Because like I said, they, you know, there are many uh, refugees leaving yeah. like a war-torn land who mm -hmm. literally only have the clothes on their back. Right. And I love this. It says that sometimes uh, the, a toll, you know, they can pay the toll by offering something unique like a lost mm -hmm. song or a rare piece of art, a rare piece of art, which it reminds me of this uh, Patton Oswalt joke. He's like performing uh, a special in Austin, Texas, mm -hmm. which if you know anything about Texas and Austin, it's very much um, like an anomaly. It's like, it's this very liberal city in the middle of this very conservative state. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, and Patton Oswalt's joke is like people in Austin are like, well, I can't pay for this sandwich with a song. Uh, so when I read that, I just thought it was, I laughed to myself, like no one else, unless you've heard that bit will find that amusing or entertaining or even interesting. But if you, <laughs> but that's sort of like my, like my go-to is like, I, I like very rare obscure references <laughs> and references it, are real real specific real and if you get them then we could probably be friends <laughs> oh no that doesn't bode well well i mean like i mean not necessarily that we won't be if you don't get no, them because i mean then i heart i would have like a friend <laughs> um some other locales within the radiant citadel are the uh the Court of Whispers, which is a um, like outdoor indoor space with quiet alcoves and open plazas, and uh, there's plenty of work available here for talented adventurers. Like there's this is where information is sort of like um, you know, given, and traded. 
Exactly. I was, yeah, I was going to be a little bit, a little bit more diplomatic, but it's definitely bought, sold and traded here. <laughs> um, another thing uh, is that this is like, you know, like you said, this is where, since this is where information is bought, sold and traded, this is where like, you know, scouts and spies can be hired for, um, for recon or for infiltration. Mm-hmm. And the speakers uh, for the ancestors employ freelancers to keep track of major concerns in their people's homelands, while also keeping an eye out for potential threats to the Citadel as well. I just, I love the hierarchy and the political aspects of it, because they've just got all these people that they send out in various places, because Mulligan speakers talk more about them later, but they, having all of these little, little birds, little spies out there for them, is just such a fascinating placement to me, like the, I don't know, the way that it all interacts is no, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's something unlike anything that I can remember seeing like in mm-hmm. the D&D framework. And additionally, like it mentions that, you know, powerful organizations from across the plains, mm-hmm. like the Harpers from Forgotten Realms, send mm-hmm. agents to the court. And so this is very much starting to connect like the dots between like all the different campaign settings, which is cool. absolutely another location within the radiant citadel is the house of convalescence which is it's basically it's a it's like the best hospital like ever (laughs) (laughs) the interdimensional hospital no yeah it's like you know where you can just walk in and uh get healed and not even have to worry about it you won't get uh insurance who cares about insurance (laughs) um and because of the power of the uh, auroral diamond, the the magic in the house of convalescence works a bit differently. It's it's almost like uh, it's to to use a phrase from the Simpsons. It embiggens the uh, the, the spells when spell uh, when you use a spell as raise dead or resurrection or revivify or true resurrection. Mm-hmm. Uh, a diamond material component isn't required. You know that aspect of the spell components is you know is in place by the auroral diamond. And then also the hit points. When a creature who would normally roll one or more dice to restore hit points of the spell, they instead use the highest number possible for each die. So, you know, if you are rolling 2d6 hit hit points to heal, you just just get 12 automatically. So you get the maximum uh, hit points uh, restoration, which, I mean, in a pinch, that that means a lot. Because there's nothing worse then going through a short rest and then rolling like ones and twos and you're like come on i'm that person every time i roll low consistently i'm the worst at it you should establish a house rule where like your roles are opposite <laughs> i mean if it it's that really if well it's, for me if it's that consistent and then you'll it start is. rolling like you know ones and twos or you'll yeah. start rolling 20s and all that so finally yeah is it but at what cost <laughs> <laughs> the Palace of Exile, which um, has it's been established as a place for adventurers who were displaced from their homes. Uh, it was named for uh, Sokoro the Exile, who was the founding leader, and is a sanctuary for the battle-weary, providing a mm-hmm. place of healing for the mind and the body. And this is also where the shield bearers are headquartered. Mm-hmm. Now, shield bearers are those who operate rescue and relocation missions 
they can only, and this is, I thought this was interesting. They can only extract those in danger and defend themselves if attacked. They mm -hmm. cannot choose a side in an outside conflict. They have to remain neutral. I liked that part too, that they absolutely have to be like straight and narrow and completely neutral and that sort of thing. That to me was also an appealing aspect of it. And they are led by Arayat, a Dayalangan assassin uh, who has seen uh, hundreds of missions and has taken its toll. It says that he, he has a bit of a drinking problem, which sort of that, um, like that battle fatigue that, yeah. um, that is, you know, known to occur with folks in, in real life, you know? So it's like, you know, I love the fact that, you know, they're, yeah, like, yes, this, this campaign is, or this campaign setting is, is magical and otherworldly and interdimensional, mm -hmm. but there's still very much aspects of it that can be relatable. Another location is the Trey Discal, which is essentially the marketplace. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can get, get and sell just about anything here. You wrote in your notes that you would DM this so hard <laughs> holy pajamas yeah that is that is a direct quote yeah um so the part that i thought would be interesting to be dming would be the um, because of it being like a major business hub where and it's not just like oh you walk into the market and you buy your food for the day it is also these massive like um from place to place to place all sorts of goods transported through there in bulk and in large quantities if something were to happen to the to the trade to skull or you know somebody would be setting up something horrible to happen there it could absolutely it would just have this massive uh, rippling effect and completely could just devastate everything and people would have to start over from absolutely nothing or try to prevent that from happening and there's just so many different directions that that kind of like the impending doom thing could bring about some really interesting gameplay i think and that's, you know, that's something that, you know, you brought it up with the theory of the diamond, the auroral diamond changing colors and how it could be a countdown to, um, mm -hmm. to something, some catastrophic event. Yes. And then also the fact that the trade disc out, like if it were to somehow implode, you know, it would be devastating to the entire city. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it mentions in the book that, you know, while like, everyone is you know it's the it, the system is built so that everyone is taken care of everyone gets sufficient you know food and and water and dress and everything everything is you know more or less uh, uh provided you know when it comes to gold when it comes to and especially these amounts of gold when it comes to this amount of trading you know nothing is ever secure nothing's ever safe nothing's ever guaranteed and i i do like this sort of like underpinning of um of calamity mm -hmm. that is sort of, uh, you know, underneath everything in the Radiant Citadel, especially, and then the most obvious example is, um, is the giant cyclone outside of it, which we'll, we'll talk yes. about here in a little bit. But I mean, there, I do love how like they present it as like, it's this great and wonderful place, but it, it could, you know, it could all go wrong very yeah. suddenly and very quickly. It's very very precarious position that it's in to be like this massive super highway between places but it's also super delicate at the same time like that i like that a lot i like the way you think 
<laughs> Another location that we'll talk about is the preserve of the ancestors. This is a like a nature preserve that's actually cut into the auroral diamond mm-hmm. uh, houses an amphitheater, which is where the speakers for the ancestors meet. Uh, and more impressively, spirits from countless lands make their home here and inhabit these tiny little jewels which assemble into what are known as incarnates. Mm-hmm. And the largest of these are of the 13 or of the 15 returned civilizations and are known as the dawn incarnates. And so the incarnates, I want you to, uh, I want you to speak on the incarnates uh, because you seem pretty excited about them. I really was. I got so excited and talked and talked and talked about it for probably a good couple hours. Um, but so each individual one of the uh concord stones they're all a different type for each plane of existence so then these incarnates are various uh spirits that have passed away on those planes and they all come together like they form these little gemstones so each individual one was a life of some sort um they all match the corresponding plane they tend to find each other and group together into the shapes of various animals or different types of plants and stuff like that Um, But what fascinated me the most was that they only know what they have experienced or what they've seen. So a tree on the top of a mountain would have just watched whatever had happened around it. And that would be the entirety of what it knows. Um, So it could have seen civilizations rise and fall, could have seen like any number of animals and things like that. So all of these things that come together to form these incarnates and then in larger aspects, the dawn incarnates, um, are, they hold the collective, like the collective wisdom of all of those individual pieces, but they, they work together, but it's not just one complete thing. It's together and separate at the same time. And so that I thought was extremely neat. No, it's, it's very cool. And I, I love the fact that like they do take the shape of like various, like you said, like uh, floral or fauna, mm-hmm. like a water lily or a pecan tree or a lion mm-hmm. or an eagle. And just like the artwork for these just like looks really cool. It's I mean, like it's so like where, like I'm, I'm waiting for the miniature set for this book. Like I know we usually um, get, we usually get minis for a, for a new book release, but I haven't heard anything about uh, getting minis for, for the Dawn Incarnates or for like the soul shaker, which is like one of the craziest sort of like spookiest monsters I've seen that in D&D. So <laughs> Keeping all the little floating jewels to like stay together when they're minis. So they're even smaller. So they just, you know, haven't figured out the mechanics of it yet or the magic spells for it. So yeah, I get, I'm I sure get, it's coming in time. For sure. Uh, there is a dead incarnate mm-hmm. known uh, as the Sapphire Worm. Uh, it lies with its gemstones blackened and cracked, and no one knows what happened to this one uh, or the uh, other 11 missing incarnates or their civilizations. So this sort of, you know, in, in the middle of this, like, very beautiful place is very, like, lush and, like, almost like, you know, uh, almost it's a utopia, for lack of a better term. Yes. You have this, like, this, like, sort of, I don't know, like, gargoyle type fixture which again mm-hmm. sort of like adds to like you know adds uh, credence to like that belief that there's always there's something like you know underlying like under you know underneath mm-hmm. like this this like in like you say like very precarious 
situation that the city finds itself in. So there's always this like sense of like impending doom. Underlying threat. And so let's talk about the speakers for the ancestors. These are the leaders of the city. They are elected by their people. And there's one for each of the civilizations. And then they endure questioning or questioning. Uh, terrible. Uh, I love it. Uh, from the dawn incarnates to ensure that the speaker nominee is familiar with each founding civilization. And so they don't want to necessarily just pick a representative that will, you know, a good representative for, you know, that civilization, but rather a good representative for the entire city. Right. And these trials ensure um that, that they understand the, the civilizations that they'll be making the decisions for, you know, for the next mm -hmm. 10 years, um, which is how long they hold office. And then they can be a re they can be reelected, but then they must go through the entire process again. Yep. And, and then, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Radiant Citadel was sort of a, you know, 2.0 relaunched with, with 13 civilizations uh, mm -hmm. and then two more were rediscovered. And so then as each founding civilization is rediscovered, they rejoin the Citadel and then are immediately granted a spot within the council and are given equal power. Mm -hmm. uh, they, may, they must maintain stability within the massive city and also manage a relationship with each founding civilization. And much like uh, the shield bearers where, you know, they, they sort of, um, it's sort of a, like a search and rescue mission. Yeah. You know, they, they don't involve themselves in outside affairs. Uh, the city itself is neutral in outside affairs. And is sort of operated as a like a democratic republic of sorts, in which uh, so each speaker of the ancestor or speaker for the ancestor is chosen by their respective civilization, and then these or these then these fifteen leaders then debate on laws and major decisions, which are decided by a majority vote. Um, some other things, some other cool things they can do is they can deactivate and then reactivate the Concord jewels, mm -hmm. and then. Uh, something I thought was really interesting is that if they're not all accounted for, for 30 days, whether they um, are, you know, not in the city, they're off somewhere else, or they just are missing, uh, plants stop growing, wells run dry, and lighting ceases to function, which I, what do you think is the connection between their physical, you know, proximity and the essentially the health of the city. I don't know. That has also been a thing I've thought about over and over. And I don't have a lot of theories. Um, it seems like because it's because they're all given their equal share of power and their existence there is what helps to maintain and keep everything again balanced or whatever. So when one piece is missing, the balance isn't there anymore. So then I would think that, that would possibly be one of the reasons, but other than I don't have a whole lot of uh, other thoughts on it yet. I mean, I think there's definitely a connection between the people that founded the city and mm -hmm. and the city itself. Like that's sort of like this um, very like um, synergist in that, you know, the people aren't truly at home unless they're at the, in the Radiant Citadel and the Radiant right. Citadel isn't truly a home unless it's ha it has its people, oh, uh, yeah. which makes me think that there's something, it has something to do with why it was forgotten. I feel like perhaps 
these 27 founding civilizations decided to branch out and figure out like, well, Hey, what's outside? Like what, what, you know, what else can we discover? Mm -hmm. And perhaps like, you know, lost their way, like couldn't find their way back. And as a result, like, you know, that's why the, you know, it pretty much went, you know, went to sleep, went, you know, went Mm -hmm. into a slumber, so to speak. Hmm. Could be. The first speaker is Cholet from Akarin Sangar, who also happens to be, believe it or not, an ancient brass dragon. So not only is she this like very like plucky, stubborn uh, woman that uh, is one of the speakers for the ancestors, but also a dragon. It says uh, in the book that 250 years ago, the great brass dragon, Sholei, undertook a quest to find the radiant citadel. For millennia, the dragons of her lineage had recounted tales of its glory. As threats loomed on the horizon, Sholei looked to the legend of the radiant citadel as salvation. Sholei gathered a mighty expeditionary force of adventurers from the civilizations she believed originally created the radiant citadel. Their travels took them across perilous plains and to distant worlds, and many died or gave up in despair. Only a quarter of the heroes who set out completed Sholei's quest, but the adventurous sacrifices were rewarded. In the depths of the ethereal plain, the radiant citadel lay dormant and abandoned by all but the incarnates of the preserve of the ancestors. Yet it was undiminished in its grandeur, waiting for its inheritors to reawaken its power for a new era. So I definitely think that there is a connection between like it's people, the the city and it's people being there. Like, I feel like it's, you know, um, neither one is complete without the other. So they can't exist without each other. And we talked about this, like sort of like underlying like doom or dread. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have the keening gloom, Mm -hmm. which in the book, it's described as proof that nothing is ever really safe. I absolutely love it. Which yeah, for me, it's just like chef's kiss, yeah. Yes, perfection. So tell us about the, the Keening Gloom, since you're, so, since you're the one who thinks that, you know, that the, that we're all going to die soon if the, if the rural diamond keeps changing that's colors. True. That's true. It needs to like slow down. It's been flashing, got like a strobe light effect happening. Um, so just beyond the light of the Radiant Citadel rages the Keening Gloom. It's a massive ethereal uh, cyclone almost said snow cone but that's not what it is <laughs> that would be delicious that, that sounds would... lovely let's go <laughs> yeah. um, nothing that enters it is ever seen again so when explorers rediscover the citadel the keening gloom hungrily circled the city its endless howl struck terror into their hearts and engulfed several adventurers which i love that it's non-specific there's just a bunch of those guys went missing yeah um After the heroes entered the citadel and reawakened its power, the cyclone was driven back. But in times of turmoil within the citadel, the cyclone ominously draws closer. Scholars have studied the Keening Loom for decades, but have only theories about its nature, its connection to the radiant citadel, and what befalls those caught in its terrible throes. Many fear that the cyclone cannot be held at bay forever. See, everything could get destroyed. I mean, many fear. I mean, like many fear a lot of things. Like many, <laughs> many fear that the lizard people will rise up and take <laughs> over the world. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. Um, but then there's another aspect, uh, another aspect of just sort of like how precarious this whole like, you know, sit- this whole situation is. This whole you know paradise that that has been built. 
mm-hmm. is, you know, and I love the fact that whenever it's, uh, whenever there are times of turmoil within the city itself, that's when the cyclone gets closer to the city from the outside. Like, so I guess, like I said, there's, I, I feel like it's all very holistic. Like everything is very much connected to each other mm-hmm. and, you know, you, you have to keep everything in equal balance. Otherwise, you know, it, it all goes topsy-turvy. Yep. I said, oh, I absolutely love that aspect of it, that it's kind of a built-in, hey, you guys better fix it or bad things are going to happen. <laughs> and then there's, well, speaking of bad things happening, there's the Janaean punishment, which is the most curious aspect that I found. It describes it a as uh, as a crim- or in a criminal is subjected to a ritual that prevents them from repeating their crime, and then they're banished from the city. And it says that it's used in the direst of criminal cases, and even then it's considered controversial. And this is from the the Janian civilization. They, it doesn't go into much detail beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, when it, you know reading on the on the Janians. You know, they talk about that they um, practice two arcane disciplines, uh, the Black Mist Way and the Black Throne Arts. Mm -hmm. So maybe this is tied to those somehow, but it doesn't say like what the punishment is. And also if, uh, if that punishment is the same across the board, like, or does it depend on the crime? Oh, that's a good question. They talk about the Radiant Citadel is very much about you know, restorative justice, mm-hmm. uh, like they, and reformative justice, and 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 trying to, uh, like you know, reform uh, the you know the person who committed the crime rather than just like right. locking them up. But at the same time, this stands in stark contrast to that. So it seems like that, that even amongst those in the Radiant Citadel, there is a point, like, like there is a line that can be crossed, mm-hmm. and at that point, like you know, that's 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 it. And so even like, and and again, that sort of ties into the fact that, you know, not everything is like, you know, puppy dogs and roses here in the Radiant Citadel. Citadel. I I liked it. I know that they also discussed one of the adventures in the book has a little bit more on the uh, Janian Empire? Empire? Civilization? Civilization. That's the word. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was trying to say the realm so theories abound about uh or that the true power behind the auroral diamond and the radiant citadel won't be realized until the missing 12 civilizations are found others speculate as to what the city's original purpose was is it the remnants of a long lost first world was it a fortress a weapon and uh, we find out in the final chapter that, like I said, that originally only 13 civilizations and thus 13 dawn incarnates were awakened by Shalo and her group. And the final two, uh, 14, Tayyib and 15, Imuzu, uh, were discovered later, uh, giving hope that the remaining 12 will, too, uh, will also be found. Yes. And like I said, like that's left open, which I feel mm-hmm. was done on purpose so that you could, you know, homebrew your own civilizations to be part of, of this city. I think so too. I think they may add, I wouldn't be surprised if they added onto it, added adventures onto it or little module stuff to it to kind of fill in the blanks there too, as time went on. Oh no. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, 
um, I feel with this upcoming, what is being theorized as 5.5 here in the next year, a couple of years, you know, Mm -hmm. in in time for for D&D's 50th anniversary, that, you know, this is something that could definitely, um, definitely could be uh, expounded on and explored a little bit more. I think it's a pretty solid foundation for it too. And all in all, it is, like I said, there's nearly 20 pages of history and lore just to dedicate, just dedicated to establishing the setting itself. And then beyond that, you got another 200 pages worth of adventures, mm-hmm. which we will talk about our favorite adventures after the middle of the show. Welcome to the middle of the show. And this one, this one's going to be jam packed. This one's got, we've got a lot of stuff to cover. Like just in the last week, there have been so, there's been so much going on in the mm-hmm. world of d d It's been utterly insane. Um, but before we do that, we want to thank our patrons, of course. Um, without them, you know, we wouldn't be able to do a lot of the cool things that we get to do such as the giveaway that just uh, recently ended where we, w- where we were able to donate over $300 to the Critical Role Foundation. Uh, we're also able to commission artwork so that we can release the magic item of the week uh, PDFs on the DMs Guild. And so like, yeah, we want to, so we want to thank, we want to thank these folks. We want to thank um, the Indie Dog. We want to thank uh, Jack. We want to thank Darkwing. We want to thank Bjorn. Uh, not the indie dog, the dog indie. Uh, I should know that he's my DM. Uh, <laughs> I want to thank uh, Jaco, uh, Coffee, uh, Daniel P, uh, Wolf the Sheepdog, Tex Ten Star, Remington, uh, Peter. Uh, thank you all so much for financially supporting the show. If you're interested in doing so, you can go to patreon.com slash DD Lorecast. We have uh, several different tiers ranging from five to 75. They all have you know, tons of different perks and benefits. Uh, when we built them, we really tried to make sure that, you know, they, they would be worth your while. It'd be worth your while to, to sign up. And then of course, mm-hmm. if you're not in a position where you can sign up for the Patreon, you still want to support the show. There are a bunch of ways you can do that. You can leave reviews on Apple podcasts or on Spotify. You can uh, interact with us on Twitter or the robots radio discord, or you can just, you know, good old fashioned word of mouth. Just tell tell somebody about it, about the show. Corner them and tell them things. I'm sure it won't be creepy at all. I, I, I very much already established. I only go to the office once a week. Um, I work from home the, uh, you know, the other four days out of the week. But I have already, in the two days that I've been at the office since, uh, for two years, I've already established myself as the D&D guy. <laughs> Oh, that happened real quick with me too. It's a small company though. It's a real small company. <laughs> and so um, like yeah, I was walking in and I saw a woman with a critical role shirt and I'm like, hey, cool shirt. And then the, uh, the security guard at the, uh, the front was like, hey, I'm about to listen to that show right now. I'm like, awesome. That's great. And I showed him my D&D lanyard. So yeah, I'm very much, very much that guy now. That's so great, though. It's the best guy to be, <laughs> right? I I think so. Like, I, 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 there are worse things to be. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Uh, so yeah. So thank you so much for and for the patrons and for everyone listening. 
for supporting mm-hmm. the show. We it's it's very humbling that you would uh, spend your time listening to uh, listening to us talk about the lore of uh, of a silly board game, and mm-hmm. and that's something I was talking to a coworker about is that I I don't understand the people that are like it's not silly, it's not dorky, like it it very much is, and, and that's okay. Like it can that's, be silly and it can be dorky and it can still be that is a so much fun. Part of the appeal. That's so, so much part of the appeal. Like, how is it not fun to sit there with a group of your friends and play pretend? Like that's right? absolutely 100% grown up should play too. Exactly. Full support. And so let's go ahead and move on to the, like all the different stuff that's happening. And so, uh, much stuff. <laughs> so just today, the, as the day of this recording, the Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves movie trailer was released. And this is the movie's not coming out till March of next year. Uh, but the trailer itself, I mean, I don't want to seem like a fanboy, but I totally am a fanboy. But it looks a lot of fun. Like, I mean, it looks fun. It looks it looks good. It it definitely, I mean, I I can remember the 2000 Dungeons and Dragons movie. <laughs> And how like underwhelming it was, uh, but this one looks good. Like, what what were your initial thoughts when you saw it? I haven't gotten to watch the trailer yet. For shame! I know I'm the worst. Oh wow! Well, you're you have something to look forward to then. I do. I have to do this immediately after we're done. I mean, it's got uh, a great cast. It's got uh, Chris Pine, uh, Michelle mm-hmm. Rodriguez, uh, Hugh Grant, uh, of all people. And the creative team behind it, uh, they uh, wrote and directed Spider-Man Homecoming, uh, either wrote and or directed that movie, uh, Game Night. And so like, I feel that they have the, the creative chops to yeah. be able to pull this off, which um, like someone on Twitter uh, explained it best. Like it's got, you know, um, an owlbear, a mimic, a displacer cat, and everyone talking shit to the bard, which is like, just about every single so D campaign. I was gonna say that's like literally every D and D table ever. Right, and so uh, so very much a thumbs up on the trailer. If you haven't seen it, there is a link uh, to the to it in the show notes. Uh, like I said, it's I, I have my fingers crossed. Like I I'm not, you know, I I've been disappointed by the things I love. <laughs> more, Cautiously more... optimistic. There you go. Absolutely Cautiously optimistic. <laughs> uh, and speaking of the movie. Also, there's a link in the show notes to the a sneak peek of the first action, or I guess maybe in action figure. There, there's going to be a gelatinous cube action figure or in action <laughs> figure. I don't know. There's going to be a figure of the gelatinous cube, which I'm I'm trying to figure out now, like where on my desk I can put it. But Are you can gonna... actually like put a fig, another like action figure inside of it, which is awesome. I was about to ask, is it like? can it eat stuff? Cause I have so many random things on my desk. That thing would never go hungry and I'd probably be safe. It's, I mean, it looks, it's, Maybe. I mean, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. Like the early next year is going to be a lot of fun as far as like the stuff that they're going right. to be releasing. Uh, also something else that they just released was the campaign case creatures. This is um, a like handy dandy carrying case that it comes with 64 weighted plastic discs that come in three different sizes and four different colors uh, along with five sheets of fully illustrated reusable creature clings uh, mm-hmm. and a storage folder for all of those sheets and like I said it comes in a little awesome storage case with a handle I mean this is you know if 
if you're not wanting to invest in the minis, I feel this is the next best thing, but you want something like something to sort of like, you know, you don't want to use like, um, uh, I don't know, like pieces of paper or like uh, erasers. Uh, this is something that can sort of uh, like bridge that gap. And so, yeah, there's a link to, to that in the show notes as well. Uh, there's, we got, we got, like I said, this is a ton of stuff that just like that dropped this week. Like usually I'm trying to find like, what else, what can I talk about this week? <laughs> and then wizards was just like, here's all the stuff. Take all it. The things. Uh, they dropped the, uh, Hey, a new unearth arcana just dropped. Um, oh, <laughs> wonders of the multiverse. We got a new race, the glitch lean construct as well as new subclasses, new backgrounds, new feats, new spells. You know, this is all, obviously, this is all playtest stuff. This isn't anything that is official, but obviously they're releasing this so that you can use it in your campaign so you can sort of work out the kinks. Uh, but this is, it's like 12 pages long, which makes it like one of the largest Unearthed Arcana offerings uh, for 5th edition so far. Uh, believe me, I know because I have them all. And oh. <laughs> Uh, and I'm like, I'm usually like, I'm like three pages. That's it. I'm like, I'm like, I saw this one, I'm like 12 pages. Like to, to what do I owe this bounty? <laughs> Got the bulk deal on it this time. Yeah, for real. But I definitely want to play a glitch lane. Like it, uh, someone, uh, equated them to like minions, like, you know, like, uh, rise of the minions and all that. And I was like, yeah, I could see that. I could totally see that. But, uh, interestingly enough, about this Unearthed Arcana is that there are various references to Planescape, the Planescape setting, which makes me wonder if that is the, or not just me, but make, has made the internet wonder if that is going to be the next, uh, you know, revived campaign setting. They have one mm. left. They they promised us three over the next two years, and we've already gotten Spelljammer, mm -hmm. uh, or we got Spelljammer announced, and we'll get it next month, and then Dragonlance at the end of the year, so we still have one more which I'd be fine with Planescape. I love Planescape. I just really want to play me some Dark Sun in the fifth edition. I, um, I'm a Dark Sun, I'm a Dark Sun simp. I simp for, <laughs> I, I simp for Athos. There, I said it. It feels good to admit, finally. I'm so proud of you for getting that off your chest, finally. And we also have the uh, Spelljammer Academy Part 2 Trial by Fire is also out now. Mm -hmm. If you already claimed the first part of it, if you already claimed orientation, then the second part will automatically be added to your D&D Beyond account. Uh, this is a, a four-part adventure series that gets you gets you and your character uh, ready for the Spelljammer campaign setting that comes out next month. And it's totally free on dndbeyond.com. Uh, so again, there's going to be a ton of links in the show notes, but th that, trust me, this is all oh stuff that you're going to want to check out. Mm-hmm. 100%. And the, of course, there wouldn't be a middle of the show without a DMs Guild corner of the week. Uh, this one was a no-brainer. Uh, we've got Journeys Beyond the Radiant Citadel for only $9.95. Uh, it's a companion to Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel, that includes expanded gazetteers uh, for seven of the lands first introduced in the book. And Journeys Beyond was created by a team of 22 people of color from around the world. And uh, the new lands, the new artwork, uh, they want you to, like I said, to make them part of your own campaign. Mm -hmm. uh, included on the team are seven of the writers from Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel, 
each providing additional material to build upon the lands that they've created. Uh, so you'll find expanded lore, thrilling encounters, intriguing adventure hooks, new magic items to enhance uh, your adventures that you that you're playing through, that you're playing uh, through with Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel. Sixteen uh, new pieces of original art, uh, and then. What's cool is that each piece of art is commercially available for your own use if you also buy the Radiant Citadel Creator Resource Pack, which has a suggested price of $4.99. It's also offered, like both of these, obviously links will be in the show notes. That's also offered on the DMG or the DMs Guild. And like I said, that, that they are very much like this, like I, this entire book is a labor of love. Yes. And I feel like they want people to make it their own as much as possible. As much as they enjoyed making it, they want mm -hmm. people to enjoy playing it. And so they're going to try to facilitate, facilitate that as much as possible. It's Yeah, it's just so, it's very concise and very detailed, but also super open. There's just so many different directions that it can be taken. No, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a perfect way to put it. Perfect. So let's quick recap. So we had uh, a brand new D&D movie trailer mm -hmm. with, with Captain Kirk in it, of all people. <laughs> I mean, Chris Pine, he's an absolute treasure. Yes, yes, can confirm. Uh, gelatinous cube, action figure, uh, a new uh, campaign case, creatures. Uh, we got a new Unearthed Arcana. We got the second part of a Spelljammer adventure. We've got a like um, a companion piece to the brand new D and D book. Like this, like I feel spoiled this week. Like I don't know, I don't know what we're going to be able to talk about next week because I feel like they just like shoved it all into this week. Oh, I hope we weren't supposed to ration it. I, uh, yeah, we yeah we probably probably should have, <laughs> but it was by then you know like people would have been like, why did why did you talk about the movie? Why didn't you talk about the movie trailer? Oh, that's true. So yeah. we wanted to be definitely have our finger on the pulse of everything. We'll get there. That being said, let's go ahead and head to the second half of the show where we will talk about our favorite adventures from Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel. <laughs> Welcome to the second half of the show wherein we will speak on our most favorite adventure. And it was hard to pick. It was definitely, there are 13 adventures it's hard to pick our favorite because, I mean, this is just banger after banger after it, banger. Yes, it is just so exceptionally well done. I actually had, I, I started with like six that I liked the most, <laughs> like kind of like bracket my way down to one. Like, a, I, March, like a March Madness sort of. Like March <laughs> Madness of D&D, July Madness. Um, yeah, I ended up, I really really like the orchids of the invisible mountain it is an adventure for 14th level characters because i like uh i like the big guns always have um so the land of <laughs> okay i apologize in advance even though there's a pronunciation guide which also made me super happy always always a fan of the pronunciation guide because i am gonna butcher it regardless but I'm less butchery this way. Um, so the land of Atagua exists at a weak point between several planes of existence. 
uh, Feywild influences work upon the land, but in recent years, corruption from the Far Realm has begun leaking into the savannah. Uh, characters must journey to the Feywild and beyond to quell the alien forces spreading across the increasingly surreal plains. I, I love this concept. I like interdimensional and where the worlds are intersecting with each other in various ways. That is something super appealing and is also like a massive overlying theme for all of the things I campaign is that they all do that anyway. Um, but I like this because the thought of alien invasion taking over this plane is just like, it's one of those things. I've loved that sort of thing since I was a kid. So there's the nostalgia feel to it with it as well. But I like the setting of it. Um, some of the interesting, like the various character hooks and things like that mm -hmm. that go into it are also things I'm excited about. Um, it starts with this, um, go to the background a little bit, I guess, to kind of discuss that. Um, so the realm serpentine protector, the great uh, Shimagwa, was fond of mortals and would bestow these visions upon the folks of Atagua. Um, however, whenever these invaders from these distant lands, um, oh my goodness, I've lost my place. Um, Visions began ending whenever these invaders started coming in from, distant, from distant lands. Sages, known as the Green Doctors, sought to reconnect to the Fey Wild, but um, every time they tried, it began weakening the planar fabric around it. So as these guys are like trying to save them, trying to fix things, they just keep making it worse. Right. Which so, isn't, you know, which isn't uh, <laughs> relatable at all. Oh yeah, no, that was part of it that I've loved through the whole thing too, is that all of these are super, super relatable. It's just easy to put yourself in those places and imagine those feelings and the things attached to it. So it's magical ward had finally like they, when they realized what they had done, they tried to push back all these eldritch creatures that are invading their world that are definitely not supposed to be there. They up throwing up this huge ward protect them um but it is failing again it has collapsed again so then all of the influence of all the negative stuff is coming back into the world again and that kind of gives you that that impending doom thing i just keep looping keep coming back around to it i just i really thought that the setting of that one and the entire premise behind it was just amazing yeah i really like the sort of like cthulhu vibes that mm -hmm. i got from this one like um you know when you said that um you know when they tried to sort of like ward off these um these invading forces mm -hmm. the the green doctors uh but failed it said that soon the region's people began experiencing terrible nightmares that gradually began manifesting in the form of terrifying creatures which okay. is like, I mean, like I read that and I'm like, yeah, that's Cthulhu. All of, mm -hmm, all of the worst things you can imagine come to life. I mean, just imagine like, yeah, if, if your nightmares like became manifest, like that would be the most terrifying thing ever. Mm -hmm. I hadn't thought once I woke up, I was going to be done with that, but it would appear not. Oh, but hey, there, there it is are. in real life, actually. 
Oh, good. It's here with me now. At least I can run fast. Like in dreams, I always like feel oh, like no. I'm like running in sand or something. I don't have to be fast. I just have to be faster than at least one person. There you go. Um, they did. There was also this, this large aberration um, that is introduced with this one is the Whistler. And this thing is so disturbing looking. It's beautiful and I love it. Like, like, I mean, I, I want minis of all the creatures, right? Of, of all, everything. like, there's 11 new creatures uh, mm -hmm. introduced in this book. And, but once I got to the Whistler, I'm like, come on, like, seriously, like, you're not, you, you haven't given me a mini already? Like, yeah. Like, I was going to, like, I was fine. Like, okay, like, I definitely need one of those for sure. Uh, but I'll give you, I'll, you know, I, and, and I'll, all in due time. But once I saw the Whistler, I'm like, no, I need them now. I need them immediately. Yeah, he's, he's gonna exist and he's gonna torture my players. It'll be beautiful. Um, they're inscrutable stalkers hailing from the airy screeching reaches of the far realm. Difficult to see as they're not tethered to one point in space, blurring in a state of perpetual physical uncertainty. So it appears as a gray featureless human-like biped with long limbs and like those two long bony fingers that are super common in horror stuff. Um, those stalked by a whistler can't shut out its soundless seven note tune, which just sounds horrifying. It is constantly this discordant, like I'm picturing this discordant, awful, in harmony, just in your ears constantly, like the worst kind of tinnitus. It's it's terrifyingly appealing it's so for sure. good <laughs> <laughs> like yeah like i that's that's always like the best compliment that uh that i can give uh, a new creature like someone like someone that created a new creature is uh it's disgusting and horrible i love it yeah <laughs> I, oh my god I, it's so bad i, 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 hate, I hate it i love it and i love it mm -hmm. that's always the one i'm gonna go for too it's the most horrible of them but yeah that was I tend to look at all of the possible horrors that I could inflict first. And then I'm like, okay, yeah, the rest of it will fall in. I'll be okay with that. Like how, how, how badly can I punish my players? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Pretty much. Which honestly, if you're a DM and you're not asking yourself that at least a little bit, are you really truly a DM? Got it. Got it. Just a little bit of torture. Just, I mean, just a, just a skosh. Just a, just a little bit. Just enough to make it interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I am a, uh, I'm a super basic B, and I picked a third level of an adventure. But I, I just love. I fell in love immediately with the tone and the idea of it. Uh, my favorite is written in blood, and. It says that every year, the Awakening Festival draws folk from across the rich expanse known as God's Breath, uniting celebrants as they tell their history in song and set the course for the upcoming year. But the mood turns grim when a group of farmers suddenly turn violent, manipulated by an unknown magical malady. In the aftermath, well-known trader Aunt Deli fears for her goddaughter, Kiana, a worker at the farm the attackers came from deep within the outlying farmlands known as the Rattle. When the characters investigate, they are pitted against a lurking evil that uses a young woman's grief and loneliness to lure new victims. And I mean, I, I think it's that last sentence. 
that mm-hmm. a lurking evil that uses a young woman's grief and loneliness to lure new victims. It's it's there's something like very, you know, like this is very much like black southern gothic almost. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you you sent me a, an article about journeys through the radiant citadel, yes. uh, in which the the author of this adventure was interviewed. Mm-hmm. And uh, her name is Erin Roberts, and she wanted to write a story about the about the the, the like the American South, pretty much like the mm-hmm. like the African American experience within the the United States South. You know, mm-hmm. albeit through the lens of Dungeons and Dragons, obviously. And so, you know, me being from the South. Uh, you know, there's a lot that I'm familiar with in here. And yeah. so, and there's still a lot that I'm like, I'm not familiar, familiar with, which, you know, kind of, that's what makes, that's what I love about these, like each of these stories that, that these adventures don't feel like these like, quests that you like, you know, your party has yeah. to go on. They, they feel like, um, like folklore stories or like mm-hmm. ghost stories that, you know, elders would tell kids, you know, throughout the generations um, in cultures that we, that we usually don't get exposure to or yes. get to explore. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, like there's been this, you know, criticism for, you know, for, you know, for D&D in particular. And then, you know, um, that, you know, so much of it has been, uh, focused on like the the Tolkien of it all, like sort of like this sort of Western European like Anglo centric idea it's of been fantasy. Very whitewashed, and so it's an no, yeah, absolutely. And so mm-hmm. and then so seeing something like this, something that is somewhat recognizable but also uh, completely fresh and new, is mm-hmm. so appealing, and the. Uh, the creature that was created for this for this adventure is called the Soul Shaker, which is this sort of like collection of undead animate limbs, which oh, is terrifying. just absolutely terrifying. Uh, a grasping mass of humanoid limbs, a soul shaker is an obsessive claimer of corpses and collector of body parts. These nightmarish creatures arise from ghoulish collections of severed limbs exposed to necromantic energies or when numerous crawling claws form a cooperative relationship. And so, you know, and this creature has its, has its origins in a tragedy, has its origins um, in the, the destruction of a family. And so like that a whole idea that you know, these, these things aren't, these things are definitely like, you know, doing terrible things and like, you know, and, and needing to be defeated, but you know, they're not evil just for the sake of being evil. Like there's like, yeah. there's a, there's a history behind it and there's, there's sort of, there's nuance tied to it. And just like, I don't know, everything about this story. And then it was just crazy because the next one, the next adventure, uh, I mean, is I, I like I you know I'm Mexican I'm first generation and that is you know 
you know, very much reads like something that my like abuela would have told me when I was little, yeah. like the, the fiend of the hollow mind. Right. In fact, uh, Paloma, the NPC leader of the revolutionary force, like could be like that could be a drawing of my nena for sure. <laughs> I love that so much. I yeah, I really I did like I looked through that one too. That was on my list. That was on my on my it was in the final four. Oh yeah, and like initially it was like okay, like um, uh, fiend of the hollow mine for mm-hmm. sure, you know, like for obvious reasons, like obvious personal reasons. Yeah. And um, and now I've written in blood. There we go. Um, yeah. Drawing blank. Uh, but just like something about written in blood just like really appealed to me, like really resonated with me. Um, and I, I guess I'm just a sucker for like um like possessions as well like mm-hmm. you know just the idea of, like these possessed farmers attacking people yes. out of nowhere and like um which is sort of like um how like critical role like the first like season of critical role like all those years ago that you know started mm-hmm. this like, this empire that's how nice. it starts that's yeah, how this tiniest little drop becomes a tidal wave after the rippling effect and it's just it's amazing and it starts off with, you know, this performance of sorts that mm-hmm. ends with an unexplainable attack and that they have to explain somehow. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, so it's like that that idea, that sort of trope is very, when it's done it well, it, it, it's, it's chef's kiss. It's, it's, it's great. Tropes are tropes for a reason, because when they're done right, they are just beautifully done, just beautiful. And that's the I thing like- is like, you know, like, anyone who like wants to write a story is like look you're not going to like figure out a new way to tell you're not going to figure out a a a new story that hasn't been told somehow you know uh the idea how you do it is like how you tell it and the characters Mm -hmm. with which you tell it that's what i mean like you know like harry potter isn't anything brand new uh star wars isn't anything brand new like you could you could pinpoint just about any yeah, those go back to the various like archetypes. Exactly. Uh, there's certain archetypes or certain it just it's consistent across the board. I like that this soul shaker, when it's defeated, the limbs keep going until you kill all of them. No, yeah. And then if you don't kill all of them, then it just goes off just and reforms eventually. Yeah, it's just terrifying. Mm-hmm. Oh. So if you think of that well in the labyrinth, the helping hands, but the opposite. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I've never seen the labyrinth though. Is the thing oh, it about is. that? Oh, it's so bad. So uh, uh, I think uh, I've also never seen the Goonies. So I've never seen the Goonies. Oh, there you go. So that's why that's why we are doing this show together. <laughs> I'm terrible with media. I am so behind on everything. And so yeah, so those are our favorite adventures. But like I said, like like you, if you go through this book, you will find your own favorite for sure yes. because. Like, I'm not going to say that, you know, uh, that these are the best. These mm-hmm. were just our favorites because like I said, each adventure is just a banger. And, hey, yeah. you know, what makes them all the more powerful and more effective is the fact that they were all written by people of color, by people of that culture that they are mm-hmm. representing, which, you know, when the book was announced, I thought it was a huge step in the right direction for D and D you know, a, a game that, you know, let's be honest, has a problematic history of stereotyping absolutely, and othering 
non-Western races. And yeah. so I'm, I'm all for this. I'm, I'm all for, you know, representation. Like, you know, I, you know, I want to be, I want a kid of any color to be able to pick up a D&D book and like see, oh, themselves. see themselves exactly see the artwork and be like oh hey like that looks like me or like you know, like I said like hey that looks like my grandma you know it looks like yeah. that looks like Irene yeah, I because I am very much of the Anglo-Saxon there is no I have no melanin not any um not a single so one seen, not one so all of it has been based on for the most part from a lot of cultural things that I'm used to that I grew up with that is what I've always seen so seeing all these other aspects of it to me has been really 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 neat and this has actually rapidly become one of my favorite books yeah definitely a, a must buy for sure mm. and what's great is that you know it's it's 13 adventures that and each of them can be done in a session or two mm -hmm. so this could be very much like somebody's introduction to D&D &D. yes you know, someone's yes. like, I don't know if I'm going to be, uh, I don't know if I'm going to enjoy it. I don't know like what it's all about, but you don't like say like, well, let's start a three-year campaign. <laughs> let's go. Yeah. We'll meet every Thursday. Um, yep. But no, this could be something like, well, Hey, like I've got something that we could do, you know, like over like a, a Saturday evening, like we'll get started like at five, we'll have some dinner, you know, start playing. And then by the end of the night, we'll be done and see if, see what yeah. you like, see if you uh, see if this becomes your thing. See if like, uh, like myself, uh, you begin to make D&D &D your entire personality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm working on it. It's my entire desk so far. It's just spreading. It's, yeah, I'll it's, I, uh, I, I read and play D&D. &D. I watch pro wrestling and that's pretty much my life. <laughs> Mine's more D&D &D than anything else. I don't watch anything. Oh, that's right. You say you're you're behind on your media. Your media I am consumption. Behind on all the media. <laughs> all the media. The only thing I do is listen to podcasts. <laughs> oh yeah, it. for sure. I mean, yeah, I I do that during work though. Mm -hmm. So, we've talked about journeys through the Radiant Citadel. As the newfound lore mistress of the show, I do believe the honors of magic item of the week fall to you. So, what do you have for us? Okay, so. Magic item of the week. I have um, the most, well, the first, it's actually the first magic item I made for like doing any of the D&D. &D. Um, so essentially this, I have uh, Fendele's Finale, which is a pair of silver knuckle dusters. They are plus one. So just real basic thing. But if when they are rolling, the attack roll is a 16 or higher on the dice, that is not with modifiers, um, it unleashes a wave of energy. So the player would then roll a d6 to determine the type of damage that their, whoever they're fighting is going to face. So fire damage, cold damage, electric, necrotic, and poison are the ones that I went with, but feel free to plug and play as you want. But if they roll a six, it is dealer's choice and they get to choose what sort of damage Ooh. they do. So this massive wave of energy causes, you know, damage similar to like a breath weapon from any sort of dragon or dragonborn. It also has a knockback of 10 feet. It can happen more than once, but anytime after the first time that it happens, the player using them begins to take a level of exhaustion each time. 
they roll over a 16 on the die after that for the remainder of the combat until they are down. And what what is it called? Uh, they're Findele's Finale. So Findele is the name of one of my player's monks. And I did make the mistake of giving these to a monk that I already can't <laughs> hit with anything. But so we've named them after uh, after my monk friend. Yeah, I was gonna say monks are slippery slippery suckers to begin with. I can't hit him for anything. I keep trying, keep trying. Almost had him down, not quite. Vendele's finale. I like that. I'm a big fan of alliteration too. Ah, uh, it. Yeah, yeah. It took me days. I haven't. He's had these for months, and I haven't named him until like two days ago. So. Well, there you go. There you have it. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. Thank you so much for letting us be a part of your day or your night or, you know, whatever, your morning, however, whenever you're listening to this, we appreciate the fact that you are just listening. Very uh, much so. Again, everything that you could possibly want to know about the show or any of the things that we talk about are included in the show notes including the links to our Patreon, including the links to the stuff from the middle of the show, including mm-hmm. links to uh, all the other various stuff that we, uh, that we've got going on, um, including uh, like our own, like, uh, like I do another podcast that's uh, currently on a season break called Fandom University. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary, you're involved with the No Sleep podcast as well. I am a little bit. Yes. I am a moderator for their Twitch channel and for their Twitch fan discord as well. It's no surprise that you're a fan of the spooky stuff. (laughs) Yeah, all the spooky stuff. I love it. That being said, thank you so much again for listening. And until we meet again, dear listener, fare to thee well, and may all your 20s be natural. Thanks for listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with a friend, following us on Twitter at DNDLorecast, or jumping on the Robots Radio Discord to chat more with us about Dungeons & Dragons. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net.